0: Lord, as we come to a time when we, we pray for our, ourselves, our congregation, Lord, our needs, God, our greatest need is You. Jesus, we need You. Lord, I pray, and, and we join together as a congregation, we ask that our prayer all this week would be, give me Jesus. Not just morality or not just Your benefits. Not just an escape pass from judgment. Give us You, Jesus. Give us Your very self. God, we pray for those in our congregation who are struggling. We pray there are several recovering from very serious surgeries. Lord, we thank You for those who are up and about and doing well. And we pray for those who are not quite yet up and about that You would help them and heal them. And Lord, we pray for the other health concerns in our congregation. Please take care of us. Lord, we pray for the families. They're just hurting right now. Father, it's it's not just one thing and and You know exactly what's going on with each of these families more than we ever could, but Lord, we pray for the the marriages that are struggling, the parents who are struggling, the individuals who are just struggling. We ask that You would bring healing and wholeness and comfort. Lord, I pray that every one of these individuals and couples would be able to say in the weeks and months and even years to come, Look, what the Lord has done it is so good. Lord, we pray for our community and our nation. Lord, as we come into this election season and, and there seems to be so much, many dark, scary things, Lord, may our hope truly be in you. And Father, we ask that you would just have mercy on us and, and provide. for so many people here father many in our country who do know you and many in our country who do not and we just ask that you would work to your glory god father i ask and pray specifically um, for those hurting around our nation this week lord there are many suffering right now without power so many losses um, Lord, we pray that You would take care of the people in Florida. Father, we pray especially for those in the Caribbean who there's so many losses, much loss of life and they had so little to start with. Lord, we just pray for provision through all of this and Your church would, would shine out as faithful and loving and kind and generous. And Lord, in the opportunities we have that we would be generous. God, we pray for... Um, the loss of the families in California. Lord, the, the heartbreaking story of this young officer who was lost and the, and the other officer this week protecting individuals. And Lord, we pray just the unrest right now from some of that very well founded because of injustices done. But Lord, the division... We see so much. Lord, we pray for a uniting of our country around justice. Lord, justice and protection for police officers, justice and protection for people with every color of skin. Lord, we pray that you would bring us together again. Lord, that the church would shine out in this for your good and your glory for the salvation of those who don't know about You, that they would be seen a better way, a way of sharing Your love, Jesus, because You have loved us. Lord, help us and change us through Your Word as we open it now. Give us ears to hear wonderful things in Your law. In Jesus, Your name. Amen. Church, I was just talking with one of our members um, right before the service. And said it, it, it feels a little almost uh, somber this morning to me getting up here to preach. And Joe and I kind of talked about that this week. We are in our last sermon um, series of our series we've been doing for quite a while. We'll pick this back up in the spring, but it'll be February till we're back in the book of Luke. But today we're going to be in Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine. We're going to start in verse fifty one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the, uh, chairbacks there in front of you. Please feel free to grab one of those. Um, our, uh, our text will be up on the screen as well, I think, but, um, but make sure, no, well, I'm sorry, our text won't be up on the screen, but the passage will there. Um, and it's on page 563 in that Bible. You will be well served if you look on with it, because there's a lot of detail in there that we want to pick out and understand from God's Word today. But this is kind of the conclusion to one section of Luke and the beginning to a next. It's that transition passage. So Luke, the doctor, has been telling us all about who Jesus is. He's been telling us He is the God made flesh. He's God who has power over nature, power over sickness, power over the demonic. And it's not even a match-up. It's it's not a fight to see who's going to win. Jesus simply speaks... And exercises His power over all these forces that seem like such great enemies to us in our humanity. But then, Luke's going to transition and start to talk about the work that Jesus Christ has done. And we're going to see that take two forms in the book of Luke. One is His teaching. Jesus is going to start to teach us, and that's what we'll be hitting in February. And then finally... Um, the work that Christ did on the cross, his death, burial and resurrection and what happens. And Luke spends a lot of detail on that. And he gives us details that we don't have in other parts of the scripture. But right now, what I'd like us to do is read Luke chapter 9 verses 51 through the end of the chapter. And then we're going to talk about this and break this down to four things. Um, a lot of, of just heart stuff today is what we're going to really focus in on. Here is Luke chapter nine, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village as they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lie his head to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We get into this text. There's a lot of hard words in this. And as I was praying through this this week, um, it was very heavy on my own soul as I see the the conflict of devotion even in myself. And what I hope that we can do is see some of the things that are distractions that are they're pulling us away from Christ. As we read through and work through this text today, but before we do that, I, I've got to tell you and. Somebody's there. Actually, she's not here. Um, she's on vacation. Someone would have mocked me for what I'm about to tell you today because um, they asked me how I was doing on Wednesday and I said, I'm doing great. I'm getting to read a new book. And some of y'all know I, I love to read um, and I don't read. I tend not to read the most exciting books. Um, let's say it like that. And she said, what book are you reading? And I said, well, it's the first book I've got to read since I finished my PhD. I've been looking for, I've had this stack of books I want to read that I've collected. And the first one I picked up is called The Whole Christ. It's by Sinclair Ferguson. If any of you have ever heard a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson, you'll know this book is not exciting. Um, I'll put it like that. It's a great book. It's not The Whole Christ. It sounds really good. And it's a history book. Um, and what it is, it's the history, and I'm going to try to make, you know, a Almost 300 page book in about two and a half minutes here. So hopefully it won't be quite as dry, but this is the history of the church in Scotland. And it's a very specific focus on what's called the Morrow controversy. All right, so all that to say, there was a book called The Morrow of Christianity, like the Morrow, like in your bones, the heart of it, the meat of it. And some guys really liked this book, and it was a very obscure book, um, and some pastors found this and said, this is really good. And then there was an ordination council and they asked them about this book and uh, they said, no, this, this, it's not a good book. And so they would not ordain this young preacher because of it. So this goes to the presbytery. They have a group over their churches. They're, they're not quite like our Baptist polity. Each Baptist church is independent. They had churches over them and they said, no, nope, you need to ordain the young man. And so, I mean, this big old fight breaks out over the book, The Morrow of Christianity. And so the guys who are defending it become known as the Morrow Men. Um, not Marlborough Men, the Morrow Men, mind you. And uh, I mean, it's it is the to do in the Scottish church. So here's the point and here. Here's what really this controversy all boiled down to. There were a group of preachers who said, you don't even have to repent of all your sins. You just have to trust Christ. It's just just trust him. And then whatever else happens, that'll get worked out later on. And you just get the benefits and all this good stuff comes from Christ. And they would preach about how good it is to be in Christ and how Christ has saved you. And that's all basically true. The the wording of it was a little off, but it was for the most part true, except the repentance part. And then the moral men over here came and said, you're missing it. What you're doing is you want to get all the benefits of Christ. You want heaven and, and fellowship and joy and the Holy Spirit. You want all the good stuff, but you're missing Christ. You want to get to heaven without knowing Christ. You, you want to feel joy of Christ without actually knowing Christ. And that's a pretty fine, I mean, it seems like kind of they're, they're piercing words. But when you read all this, you realize that just this subtle difference of wanting the benefits of Christ, all the good things, and there are many good things, without wanting Christ himself, the person of Christ. And what these morrow men said is you can't just say this prayer and, and have this magic, you know, thing happen and be saved without wanting to know Jesus. You don't just punch a card and get a ticket like you do to get on an airplane and get on. It's not a ticket to heaven. It's knowing Christ. And they actually went back to some of the reformers and the reformers had used this phrase, when you are saved, you are in Christ. And they, of course, picked that up from Paul and many of his letters. And so what these moral men said, is you need Jesus and then all the benefits come. And so there's this little subtle distinction here. And I think the reason I've bored you with all this is that I think this is exactly what's going on in our text today. The disciples and some of these people who are, who are we don't really know if they end up following Christ or not, because we're not told what happens after Jesus confronts them. They, they want some of the good of Christ. but they've not counted the costs. They've not realized what's going on and they've not fully devoted their hearts. Their hearts are divided. And so I, I titled this sermon, taken from a very old preacher, he, he, everything he had in his sermon on this text was there are too much this and there are too much this. And that's exactly where I want to go today. Is say We are too this to really have Christ Himself. Not just the benefits, not just the good things, not changing our just changing our morality. All, all those things happen. But we know Christ. We know Jesus. It's that song that Chad sang. Man, I mean, I love that song. Isn't that awesome? We've done that a couple times now. I love that song. Give me Jesus. That's the point of today's sermon. So look with me again. Verses 51 through 56. This first kind of paragraph of our text. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So what this means, this is the transition statement in Luke that I was talking about. Jesus is ready from telling about everything, who he was and going and doing these miracles. He is now on a beeline. He is straight ahead to Jerusalem. And this actually takes almost a year. He's still going to villages. He's teaching. But the teaching shifts a little bit. It's not just look who is here. It's here's what I have to say. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified for the sins of mankind and then raised again and you are called to follow me and it's going to cost you nothing and everything at the same time. But his face was set and there was no distractions. We see a lot of distractions in the first half of Luke. Remember, the the woman comes up and grabs his cloak and we see people running up to him, my servant is sick or my daughter is sick. There is a beeline happening right here. Right where Jesus is headed. And this moment, this shift happens. We see for the first time, large groups actually rejecting Christ instead of embracing and getting excited about Him. So after this shift, the first thing we see is there were two groups in this passage. One was too religious. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that word in just a minute. One was too religious, and the second was too self-righteous. So the first point there in your, ver- in your bulletin is don't be too religious and too self-righteous that you miss Jesus Christ. Too religious and too self-righteous to miss Jesus Christ. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up. That's taken up to heaven. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. So we talked about Samaritans day in Bible study, if you all were here, um, with Hezekiah. And he's in the southern town of Judah uh, or southern country of Judah. And up in the northern half, they are just selling out to the best bidder. They will give their allegiance. They will give their worship. They will give their money to whoever will protect them. And this is the group of Samaritans we're talking about right here. These are their descendants. They sold out to idolatry. They actually erected a second temple instead of going to Jerusalem and worship as God had commanded at that time. They erect a second temple. And it's this mix of of Judaism, proper worship of the true God, with a lot of idolatry mixed in, a lot of paganism mixed in. Um, it was a very sensuous worship, um, sexually sensuous worship, and it was very impure. It was not worship of the true God. And these Samaritans were very devoted to it. They had their own, it, well, frankly, it made them money, but it was a commitment that held their country together. And so they were so religious about their false religion that Jesus himself is walking in their midst. God came to earth and he's going to Jerusalem. Well, he must not be for us. Their religion had gotten their way of seeing Jesus himself. Um, I remember a man I got to meet in Central Asia and he wore a ring. He was a single man. He wore it like a wedding ring. He actually wore it on his uh, left hand uh, ring finger. And it was a ring that had a symbol of Islam on it, which ironically was, was not appropriate even in their religion. You wouldn't have that symbol. You wouldn't wear a ring for that. But I noticed it, and as I was witnessing to him, I kept talking to him about it. Why, why do you wear that ring? He said, It's my heritage. He had come um, from a group of people that does not have a home. They, they were a nomadic people. They'd been driven all over and the one thing that today ties that people together is Islam. So right there is he was hearing the message of Christ and he was having Christians love on him and care about him. And Muslims had rejected him because he's disabled. He's in a wheelchair. He was seen as a curse from Allah. But he could not give up symbolically that ring, but his religion, his devotion to Islam, even though people were loving him and caring for him, And he really thought that Jesus was the true way. But his dedication to that historic religion blinded him to Jesus. It blinded him to Jesus. But there were other people in there. We're going to keep going. It wasn't just the Samaritans in this passage, the disciples, boy, they make a great showing in this one. It says, and his disciples, James and John, saw it. All right, this is the guy who writes multiple books of the Bible. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, And here's where he goes. And when the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, they think they're Elijah all of a sudden calling fire down. They're going to slaughter everybody. Godly loving attitude there. That's missions right there. Um, But he turned and rebuked them. It's just that simple. These guys who should get it they don't. They are so self-righteous. They go, oh, we are with Jesus. But they miss the whole point of what Jesus was coming to do. Jesus in the book of Luke says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. These are the people Jesus was here for and James and John are ready to kill them all. Their self-righteousness, their bigotry, which was also um, racial in nature, they hated the Samaritans. They were they were Jewish and these were half breeds. These weren't good enough people. They were ready to kill them all. They are so self-righteous that they missed what Jesus was doing. So where do we go with this? Obviously, I hope none of you have that God would shoot fire on somebody this week. I mean, I'm, I'm going I'm to hope you're there and I'm going to assume that none of you have gone to a false temple to worship a false pagan. Let's hope that's not the problem. Although, it may be. But how are you, how quick are you to condemn that group? And by that group, I mean that group that you know. It's those people who have that sin. How quick are you to condemn them? To think they are unsavable? Not to think that they're right. The Bible clearly has things it calls sin. But how often do we think that group is unsavable? Maybe it's Muslims. They're certainly dangerous, they are hard to witness to. Or maybe it's a certain sexual sin that you can't come back from that. There's no hope there. We just give up. Or maybe it's an alcoholic. Or maybe it's a drug addict. Or maybe it. whoever it is for you. We all have them. We're so self-righteous that we're missing God's plan. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those lost people. And guess what? You either are or were one of them. There's an old phrase that Christians have said many, many times. There, but by the grace of God, go I. There, but by the grace of God, go I. In other words, I am one decision away from being that person. It's only God's grace that's kept you from it. However, how many of us are truly self-righteous and so self-righteous? We're missing Jesus himself. Do you read the scriptures Maybe, maybe your religion is keeping you from. do you read the scriptures and think, "Oh, I know better than that." Yeah, that was good for those people back in that day. Did you think you know better than the scriptures? Do you think no one else really has the the understanding the key in, of God than you? Do you think that your spiritual activities make you good with God yeah i'm a more I'm a good person or I had this experience, or I did this when I was a kid. Oh, I was baptized when I was 12 and I'm good with God. Is your religion keeping you from Jesus Himself? We are all dangerously close to missing the real Jesus. To missing Jesus Himself. For our religion, our false religion, Because true religion is loving Christ Himself. But our false religion and our self-righteousness, it's dangerous. And it's an easy, easy snare. All right. next thing. We're going to take on the second paragraph there. Verses 57 and 58. Listen to this. And as they were going along the road, someone said to Him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to Him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There's an old song by Rich Mullins, um, a Christian singer who was was killed um, in the late 90s. And it's striking. He's reflecting on this passage. Birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the fate of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. Say that again. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the fate of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. He said, yes, you have the shoulders of a homeless man. Jesus was willing to give up all His glory, the glory of God the Son, to take on flesh and live here. And He didn't own a home. (laughs) He traveled from place to place. There are many nights I'm sure He slept along the side of the road. He says to this would-be disciple, do you really know what you're promising? I'll follow you wherever you go. Do you really know what that means? So the second two, the first one is too too religious and self-righteous, but the second one is too quick to promise. There's a passage I want to read you that we'll get to later in Luke. This is when Jesus is teaching. It's Luke 14. Verses 25-32. through 32. Luke 14, if you want to turn there. Starting in verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied him. So he's got a bunch of people around. Everybody's getting excited. And, turn, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, that's an execution implement. In other words, whoever does not die by execution and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. So what he's saying, like building a building, just like some very wise people who helped us build this thing. They figured out what it was going to cost and the first drawings we had, it was way too expensive, so we drew it smaller. Because I like a roof up. I like air conditioning. Not, Not this morning. We could open the windows this morning. But... We made sure we had enough money to finish. What Jesus is saying here and what He's saying to this man, or woman who said, I'll follow you anywhere. He said, do you know what you're saying? This person was too quick to promise because they did not know what they were saying. Christ's call is to come and die. We use the words faith and repentance and those are accurate Bible words. But what that faith is, it is a complete Absolute commitment and falling upon Christ. There is no other hope for salvation. It's not well, I'll go with Christ. and If it doesn't work out, it'll be OK because, you know. Hadn't been that bad anyway. No, it's without Christ. There is no hope. I fall on him. I reject anything he calls me to reject. I turn to him. I love the passage out of the book of Revelation. He's he's speaking our students. We went through this Wednesday night. Jesus is speaking to a church, and he said, "You're just lukewarm. You're just mm-hmm. you're not following me. You're not rejecting. You're just there." He says, "I'm going to spew you out of my mouth." And then he offers them, "You don't have gold. You're rich. You're poor. You're naked. You've got nothing. Come and buy robes of righteousness." Now that doesn't make any sense. If you've got nothing, how are you going to buy something? But this is the exact heart of the Gospel. As we come to Christ with nothing, it costs us nothing in so many senses to follow Him. We trust Him. We repent. We turn from our sins. We don't have to work. We don't have to get to this level and then we can come follow Christ. We just fall upon Him. And it's this great exchange that we talk about. He gives us His righteousness and takes our sin. It costs nothing. We wretched, poor, naked, blind people are buying robes of righteousness with no money. But there's another sense in which it costs everything. The sense in which this passage that we read out of Luke 14 and the passage where Jesus says, you don't understand, I may call you to go across this world, across the seas to leave everything for me. And when I call, you say yes. Remember Zacchaeus? He's up there trying to see he's not a good guy. He's a thief. He sees Jesus. He comes down. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. He says, Jesus, I'll give back everything I've ever stolen. And can you imagine the thought of that for a thief? My entire life, I'll just give it up. He says, if I've wronged anybody, I'll pay them four times what I've taken. Everything changes, and it cost him everything. But was it his righteousness that got him there? Was it being good and you know pulling himself? No. But count the cost. Christianity is not a call to comfortable health, wealth, prosperity. Everything's good. We should not be surprised as Christians when things don't go our way, whether it be an election, politics or just the general demeanor of culture. It shouldn't be going our way. We don't fit Um, as one of the resources that we have there in your your sermon guide for you um, is called a compassionate call to be counter culture, not in a mean, abrasive way, but but saying we don't fit. And that is the point Jesus is saying here, it may cost you everything. So what do we do? Let me ask this. Just a few questions. Do you think trusting Christ is simply repeating a set of magical words you might call a prayer? Or is it turning your heart to is it in everything on you it's trusting him, falling upon Christ? That's one of the words Jesus used to describe it. Turning from your sins, repenting, walking toward Christ. It's crying out, give me Jesus and nothing else. Do you understand that why we are called by God and we have nothing to buy salvation? Christ gives us everything, but he consumes everything we are in that same process. Do you understand that if you hold on to yourself, if you hold on to the control, if there's a portion of your heart that you're still grabbing, that Jesus is not some magic formula that's going to get you out of hell while you're doing that. He's the second person of the godhead. He's the holy creator of the universe. He is the word became flesh and he is a jealous god. The cost is everything but nothing at the same time. So are you too quick to promise? Was some prayer you said as a teenager actually real in conversion? Have you been living a lie this whole time? Because you said some words that you really didn't mean. The second one. We're going to go a little faster here now. Verses 59 through 60. Verses 59 through 60. There was another person who was too slow to follow. It's too slow to follow. Listen to this. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now This sounds very harsh, right? hard right at first. Um, and it is hard. He's saying, put me above your dad, who's apparently either dead or in ill health. But the Jewish custom of burial meant that within 24 hours of someone's death, they were buried. So if his dad had died, he probably would not have been standing there in front of Jesus. Most people think that what this man is saying is my dad's in ill health. Let me go sit with him for however long, weeks, months, days, and then I'll bury him and then I'll come after you. And remember what Jesus had just done. He had just set his face to Jerusalem. This was the time. This was the most crucial time in all of history. And he said, it is time. And this guy missed it. No, I, I need to go take care of this first. He was too slow to follow Christ. Think back again to Zacchaeus. I've referenced him before and we've talked about him a little bit. Zacchaeus is in a tree climbing up trying to see this guy he's heard of. Jesus says, I'm going to your house for dinner. Instantly, Zacchaeus is a converted man. He says, I'll give away all I have if I need it up to four times what I've wronged. He follows Christ. Right then. It's not a let me think about it. What am I going to do? It's it's I give it all up. And this is not about ignoring family needs, but it's about placing Christ above all else. He is number one priority and there's no competition for that. It's not just a ranking in your daily planner. It's he wins. It's everything. Matthew 15, one through nine actually says this. And this is. This is interesting because Pharisees are doing the opposite. These were religious leaders of the day. They're saying forsake your family and don't care about them. But listen to what Jesus says. He actually says the opposite. Sacrifice for your family. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. In other words, you weren't keeping all our little laws. He said to them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your Tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But if you say, if anyone tells to his father and mother, what you gain from me should be given to God. In other words, I'm not going to take care of you. I'm just going to go give this in the offering. He need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So in other words, Jesus does say, take care of your parents, even to a sacrifice. But the whole thing is based on the commandments of God. Not the traditions of people, not the desires of people. And so, what's going on here is Christ is saying, I trump. I win. And if there's this competition, if you've got an excuse to the delay, your heart's not there. I don't have you yet. And so, when we get to the application here, I, I, I'm probably going to step on some toes, and I know I step on my own. Because I, y'all know me, I work with our kids i our associate pastor now, but I've been, I've been our children's pastor for a long time. And, and my job, what I do day in and day out is, is, is seek to disciple the families, the whole of the family. And one of the biggest things I could tell you is, is you need to spend time together. You need to get together on God's Word and do things together. So please hear me. When I'm, when I'm cautioning and, and checking family time, I do this very, very seriously. But some of us have put family and family events in the place of God. Some of us are putting our family above church attendance, above missions, above witnessing. And the reality is, is what we're actually doing is not serving our families well when we do that. The greatest gift you can give your family is to be wholly devoted to Christ Himself. Your son or daughter may love the sport or the activity or the event or the lifestyle. But are you teaching them to love that? Whatever it is, more than Jesus. Again, are you wanting the benefits but not Jesus Himself? You're teaching the exact opposite of what Jesus taught in this passage. If your child gets the scholarship, the grade, the status, the friends, the accolade, but leaves your home missing Jesus. What you've done is a great disservice to your family. We need to spend time with our families. We need to be out and doing things. But Christ is not an option we can sacrifice in order for these other things. Christ is our God. So what's slowing you down spiritually right now? Is it an ideal, the American dream, money, fear, control? Hebrews 12.1 says it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that encumbers and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Last one here. Too double-minded. Too double-minded. Look there at the last passage. Yet another said, I will follow you. This is in verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That word puts his hand to the plow. I mean, it is the word grab. It's not just pick up a plow and plow. And of course, we're talking ancient farming here. This was horse drawn or, or cow drawn. Both hands. The cow or horse pulls it forward. The human behind it pushes it into the ground. And so when Jesus says this, it, it's actually the word, it, it's a very, very strong word. I don't know that we have a, a word in English that, that just goes with it. I mean, it is grab that plow. And whoever grabs that plow, I mean, they're going at it. And looks back. Obviously, they're not a very good farmer. Lines are going to go like that. Bless bless his heart. My son, he loves to run. And he'll turn like this in the soccer, And of course, down he goes. Because he's not watching where he's going. We know that. We know where you're looking That's where you're going to head. When I've taught people, and some of y'all know I love to ski. When I've taught people to ski, I I show them how to get in a certain form. And I tell them, just look where you want to go and you're going to go there. And nobody ever has believed me. But it is absolutely true. If you turn your head and you're standing a certain way, guess where your feet are going to go? That direction. If you turn your head and look, you're going to go there. Jesus is saying you cannot be double-minded. Um, I, I want to read a couple of the Beatitudes here. This is from Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is your hunger and thirst right now? Is it for the righteousness of Christ? Is it to be like Jesus? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Listen to this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. There is only The, the Greek idea of purity is only one thing. In other words, it is all gold. If it was a gold vessel. It is all silver. It, it, it doesn't have anything fake in it. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. There's only one thing in your heart. There's no competitor. It is Christ alone and nothing, nothing else. So how do we apply this? What else is competing in your heart? Is it a boyfriend, girlfriend, school, a promotion, a social standing? What means more to you than Jesus? What do you think about when you close your eyes at night on your bed? It's one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked in my life. I want us to go into a reflection about these these twos. I want you to think about which one is yours? What describes your heart? Is it being double-minded? You've you've got more things. Is it too religious to know the real Christ? Are you too self-righteous to see Jesus? Are you too quick to promise? Are you too slow to follow? March fifteenth, two 2004 was the first wedding anniversary of a young couple. They were seminary friends. Knew him in Greek. I had both of them in an Old Testament class. And Thanksgiving, they didn't come back. I didn't know why. No one knew why. We kind of, it was kind of the, I seen David. you seen Carrie. What I didn't know is they were recruited by our international mission board they were sent to a country that had just opened up because of the conflicts that were ending there. It was Iraq. They both spoke Arabic. Didn't know that. (laughs) Sitting right next to the guy and and quite frankly, they kept a really low profile because they were headed back to the Middle East. I want you to hear their story.
1: I was uh, called into missions when I was uh, in the youth group. That's about a freshman in high school. And I was reading in Matthew verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, where Christ has disciples look at the people and he shows them this is a harvest field and it's white and pray to the Lord of the harvest, send workers into his harvest. So after reading it, I was, um, I just kind of finished reading it and I had this moment of that audible, inaudible voice uh... that Christ sometimes chooses to use and He spoke very clearly to my heart and He said I want you to go into my harvest and I had no clue what that meant and uh... so I just shut my Bible and I went on with life and tried my best to ignore it and later uh, that year in fact it was a summer camp there was a counselor who was a returning German had just spent spent the last two years in Africa and was hearing his stories and seeing this, his passion that he had for God's people, that God just really broke my heart. And, uh, and I submitted at that point to missions and uh, God's call on my life. And so my prayer was that God would lay a people group on my heart. And, um, and he did. And he laid, uh, first he, he showed me the Muslim peoples. And of course, you know, they're worldwide. And then later, um, just really through scripture and prayer and, and just being open, um, he showed me the Arab peoples you know the, on the news we often hear of Iraq and, and how they now have hope and it's true they do now have uh, a hope and, and this kind of thing but we know that's not a hope that can last we were doing relief and development work uh... which means we were seeking out folks that uh... were in desperate need of uh... your basic uh... needs food water uh... shelter this kind of thing and that particular day um, we had made uh, contact with uh, a displaced uh, people group, and they met us with hospitality. Uh, it typical of the Arab world. We finished up our questions and meeting and, and greeting and all this kind of thing, and made it, said our goodbyes, and, and uh, basically headed home. As we were driving uh, through Mosul, uh, Iraq, uh, some men uh, pulled up around us and uh, started shooting at us with uh, automatic weapons. Yeah, shock sets in, um, and everything happened so fast. You know, there was nowhere to go, and we were being shot at, and yeah, I, I definitely prayed, and God gave me a grace and mercy. It's in His ultimate sovereignty. He knew that I would survive, and uh, I kept my eyes closed. And I remember thinking, I don't want to remember these men's faces. I don't want to have to live this life if I survive it, knowing what their eyes looked like. Everybody was just still. And um, later, finally, when the men left and finished, um, I knew that Mrs. Elliot was gone. And I could feel her. She was leaning on me and no longer breathing and uh, Karen uh, Karen was struggling Mr. Elliot was leaning over in the seat and and I assumed his sympathized posture that he was gone and I couldn't see David and I didn't know at that point whether or not he was alive when he sat up He, uh... hollered back and he said, Baby, are you hit? I said, yes. I said, I'm hit bad. I couldn't move. There wasn't a piece of me that could move. I could move my head. I saw my hand. And I felt something in my chest. And, uh... I couldn't breathe. He just wasn't, uh... Bleeding like I was, it was bleeding on the inside. At the time, I didn't know it, and I could tell by his face it was flushed. Um, I didn't know what to pray for. I mean, I literally remember going, "I should be praying," and Lord, I don't know how. I I didn't know what words to express, and um, so I prayed Jesus' name. And I cried out, and I just kept repeating Jesus. We did nothing to obtain this. And that's how we knew that it was of God. Because, um, you know, we have been, in, both of us and served in situations where really a lot of people would throw their hands in and and say, this is an unlovable place. You know, but God in His sovereignty uh, showed His, us His love for it and poured out that love into our hearts. And uh, we wanted to pour it back into the hearts of the people that we saw that were so broken. I want to be obedient to Christ. And that is my calling. And if He would have me go back, then I will be obedient to that. And uh, if He has me go back somewhere else, I will be obedient to that. Um, But whatever it is, I... Christ hasn't revealed what my next step is going to be. And uh, so right now I'm taking each day at a time for tomorrow certainly has enough worries of its own. I'm sitting here right now in hopes that if somebody would hear this story, that one, that would glorify God for what He has done in a very ordinary person's life. And uh, number two, that, that maybe God would use it to call them and uh, help them in their life. Maybe they're suffering or maybe they're struggling with uh, something that God's calling them to be obedient to. That if he would choose to, to use this testimony uh, and glorify his name through. And that's why I'm sitting here.
0: As our deacons come, we're coming to the Lord's table. Why would a young lady who lost her husband on their first anniversary who'd received 22 bullets say, yeah, I'll go back. Because for her, it was not about receiving this or receiving that. She already had received Christ Himself. The whole Christ. For her, Jesus was Better, so we come to this Lord's table, and we take bread and a cup, the bread representing Jesus' body, the cup representing Jesus' blood. What we're saying is we are taking in Christ himself. It's a symbol, it's just bread and juice, but this is for Christians who trust Christ, who are in obedience to him good standing in your church. Uh, Whatever church that might be, if you're a guest with us and and are a believer, please partake. This is showing exactly what it says is we want Christ. Not just this. We want Christ. And we take Him in. Let's pray. Father, You've sent Your Son to us and we say thank You Thank You for His death, His body, His blood, for our sins, His perfect life, for our righteousness. And God, thank You that You offer Him freely. Jesus, that You will take us. May we know You, Christ. May we take You. May we trust You and follow You. There be no distractions. Nothing It would be too much to keep us from You. Thank You for Your body and Your blood given for us in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.